That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, we are back with another episode of Same Old Song. As always, I'm your host, Jacob Smith, with uh, my good friend, Aaron Zimmerman. And uh, we are now walking through the lectionary for Proper 20, Year C, in the RCL. Uh, for those of you who do not know what that is, that's fine. Just uh, <laughs> join us as we go through Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 18 through chapter 9, 1, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing great. I'm a little sleepy. We're recording in the afternoon. I just had a large, starchy lunch, and I'm uh, my blood sugar's crashing. So mm. I, I, I'll have to just rely on... Mm. Uh, the Holy Spirit and the, and I don't know, fumes or something here, but I think I'll be okay. I'm doing all right. Good. You, you doing okay? I'm doing great. I'm getting, uh, I'm, you know, in the fall, I'm working finally now on my summer bod for, uh, summer 2017. (laughs) So I had a, um, I had a farmer's bowl for lunch and I'm feeling, uh, really healthy. A lot of sweet potatoes and, um, uh, salmon cooked medium rare. So this will last for about four days and then I'll be back off the wagon. Uh, do you feel like what time? What time do you predict you'll be hungry again today? Oh, I already am, and uh, I'm like, and you know what I'm starving for? I'm starving for Korean chicken wings right now. I just cannot seem to get it out of my head. I wanted that all over my farmer's bowl, along with a Big Mac. But nonetheless, um, you know, we're yeah. on the kick for right now. I. Uh... I, I was um, thinking about the time you and I ate beef knuckles in New York in April. Oh, yeah. Delicious that was. Well, uh, enough about the, we're making our audience uh, salivate. Um, so, you know, uh, nothing says friendship like uh, Chinese beef knuckles though, <clears throat> in New York City. So um, it's right. good. But, um, you know, but all those things like the collect of the day for this coming Sunday, pray, the, all of those things are passing away. And so you and I hold fast to those things that shall endure, and so do our listeners, which is the gospel, which we're um, going to hopefully bring you today to help you preachers and you who are doing this for devotions out to find you know it. Because Jeremiah we'll, uh, is a tricky text. You know what I hope will endure? Tell me. The Popeye's chicken sandwich. Ooh, did you read that uh, Chick, uh, Chick-fil-A employees in the Babylon Bee? Chick-fil- <laughs> yes. Chick-fil-A uh, employees march around um, uh, Popeyes with trumpets, ready to bring it down. But anyway, I, that is- I ate that sandwich last week in Waco, Texas at the new Popeyes location here, and it was a revelation. And I will tell you, I went again yesterday to try to get it, and they're out. They won't have it again for two weeks, like every location in Central Texas. So you're doing something good, Popeyes. That's Watch good. Watch out, Chick-fil-A. 
So you know Anyways. what's a delicious thing that I love, though? These Korean chicken wings. There is a place <laughs> called Snow Fox in New York City. And uh, don't worry, audience. We've definitely prepared for the text. But uh, um, <laughs> I love the Korean boneless chicken. I could just eat that all day. And um, and when I don't have it, I lament, much like Jeremiah. Can you see I'm trying to land the plane Ooh, here, Aaron? <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 8. Yep, so here we are. Uh, just like I lamented about the lack of the Popeye's chicken sandwich, uh, Jeremiah is lamenting here, but it's, so yeah, let's, let's get into the, the word of God here. Um, because man does not live by bread or chicken sandwiches alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So here, Jeremiah 8, we're in the middle of this long lamentation. As you've told us before, Jeremiah is the prophet of doom telling a people, uh, uh, who are about to be exiled, what's going on and why things are happening. And so this is, um, this is actually, I mean, you know, the pastoral thing here, I think, one of the things to talk about is how, what an honest voice it gives to the, um, the inner emotional life of God and God's people when things are falling apart. So there's this, yeah. uh, if you're ever waiting for things to get better, for like a last minute reprieve, uh, for, you know, a, a commutation of your death sentence from the governor right before you go to the electric chair, that's sort of how the people of Israel felt, but they don't get that reprieve. They don't get the commutation. I mean, that's right. they sort of, they say, is, um, yeah. you know, harvest is past, summer's ended, and still we're not saved. We, we sort of hoped that the, har- the harvest would come through or something, but nothing's happened. So this is a very powerful, apart. powerful lament and uh, a lament uh, for, uh, and it goes all the way to chapter 10. And uh, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of um, discussion amongst biblical scholars of whether this is Jeremiah himself, whether it's Yahweh, or whether it's the people of Judah. It's a mixed bag here. But really, if you've ever had a parishioner or yourself with a sick child and just nothing seems to get through, if you've ever had a parent uh, that is driving you crazy and there just seems to be no reprieve, um, if you yourself have ever been just like stuck in a pickle and you're like, what the heck? is going on. You're just completely drained by this. You can then begin to relate to the prophet Jeremiah or whoever's speaking right here uh, because he kicks off and he says, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, and my heart is sick. Um, And really, I mean, you see kind of, I mean, the level of depth. If this is Yahweh speaking, the level of depth and emotion Argot, he's not some sort of wooden idol sitting on an altar far away and is distant from you. This is gut emotion. This is mm. this is just right out of of the bowels of sadness that we see happening right here. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a word here to your congregation, a liberating word that if this is how you feel as a Christian, you are not required to suppress your emotions and tell people everything is fine. And actually, there are a lot of people that think liturgical settings of lament are something we should bring back to allow people to to give voice to their pain. And, you know, whether this is Jeremiah talking or Yahweh talking or both, um, either way, it's it's moving that the speaker here says, for the hurt of my people, I am hurt. So we talked last week about, and in the past we talked about suffering and um, God's work in suffering. And um, whatever you want to say about that, what it is clear is that when we suffer, God does suffer with us. He is the mm-hmm. suffering servant, and he's not indifferent. He's not removed. Um, and actually, this it's in this incredible image. The speaker here says he can't cry enough. Like, he wish he had—he wished mm-hmm. his, his whole head was like when the fire hydrant— I feel like uh, you used to see all these pictures uh, 
on Sesame Street when I was a kid, Jake. Oh, they yeah. would show kids in the streets of New York with like the fire hydrant open mm-hmm. and just gushing. That's completely illegal now. You'll be arrested yeah. immediately. But it used so. to be pre-Giuliani mm-hmm. yeah. that you could just willy-nilly open fire hydrants in New York on the summer day. Yeah. And so, right. uh, and it, this is what the speaker was. I wish that my head were an open fire hydrant mm. so that I could even begin to cry enough because my own tears are just not enough. I weep day and night. So... It's a powerful picture of, of raw suffering and yeah. emotion, and this part on, on God's part for his own people who have wandered away. Mm-hmm. But the, the driving force, if you're going to just preach this text alone to get to the gospel, is the question that he asks here. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Because the answer is, yes, there is balm in Gilead. This was like an ointment that came from the mountains that you would place on skin. There were physicians there that could take take care of sickness. And we have physicians who will medicate you day in, day out. Not to say that medication isn't right. Sometimes you need it. But like the the point is, is that nothing is really getting at this deep, deep, deep heartache of mine because this isn't simply a physical condition. This is a spiritual condition that Jeremiah has laid out here. And what we need is not just simply what humanity as a whole, you know, we see, I mean, our whole country and we see, not to get political, but I'm an Episcopalian, I can't help it. You know, you see our whole country just being completely pulled apart, like like pulled pork, literally shredded. And you know, is there no help? Well, what we actually need is something far deeper than, um, than just, just an outside cleanup. What we need is a heart transplant. Hmm. And that's the, that's the ultimate drive here. We need to be pointed to the physician um, who by his wounds, we are, have, and are being made whole. And this is what Jeremiah is, I mean, this is ultimately, as the book of Revelation reminds us, will dry the tears of Jeremiah, will dry your tears as we press forward to a place where there is no more weeping, but all has been not just made better, but brand new and redeemed and restored. And so that's the nugget that you need to hit on, that question that drives you forward to the gospel. Yep. And I think you also see echoes of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, Mm. of uh, Jesus's own cry of dereliction on the cross. Like God's, you know, again, just uh, one point we often make on this podcast is the fact that Jesus is not God's plan B because plan A didn't work. The New Testament is not Mm. like a whoops, we got to go to the emergency uh, solution here. Um, God is the same God always, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as we read in Hebrews. And one of the things that that means is that... um, we see, we see God acting like God from the beginning to end of Scripture, yeah. um, and the 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 attitude and heart of God to weep for God's people when they are suffering, and ultimately to put Himself in the place of suffering is something we see here in Jeremiah, and of course we'll see we'll see later on. Absolutely. Well, this brings us uh, perfectly. I mean, there's so much more we could say in Jeremiah, but uh, this brings us right into Timothy chapter two, verses one through seven. And, uh, and uh, we see um, uh, Paul uh, asking Timothy to, the, um, to urge for supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. I remember uh, we were doing a service here. It was right after Donald Trump got elected, and, um, 
it happened to meet a liturgical change um, in the year. And uh, so uh, we normally do like in the summer and the front part of the fall, like kind of the blah prayers of the people. These are the prayers that are just kind of generally <laughs> set. But then we shift in like Advent to um, a series of prayers of the people where we specifically pray for people, including the president and by our name. governor and Congress yeah. by name. And so we put Trump name. And this lady came out and freaked out on me and was like, how dare you? And, uh, you know, but whatever <laughs> your Linda thoughts. Blair? Yeah, whatever your thoughts are on this particular, on on, on these particular positions, the, the point is, is that we pray for our leaders. And this is what Paul is reminding us. We pray for our leaders. We pray for everyone who are in high positions because it serves a real purpose. God works through these leaders and their vocations, um, even the ones you don't like. And uh, we pray for it so that we, as Christians, people living in a country, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. So the prayers for our leadership is for the purpose of the fact that we can live. Yeah, I love it every time there is a presidential election because we go, it's sort of a juicy moment liturgically when you go from having prayed for eight years by name, prayed for Barack, and then, you know, then the next day you start praying for our president-elect Donald and then just the president Donald. And uh, there's something, and you know, there'll be another election and we'll go back, we'll pray to somebody else. And it's just, we are doing what First Timothy 2 says to do, which is just pray for people in leadership. And we don't pray, you know, in our tradition, we always pray for them by first name, their Christian name, because they are people before they are politicians, uh, people who are created in the image of God, even if you don't like them. And so there were people that loved play, praying for Barack, and, and there's people that hated praying for Barack. And now there's people that love praying for Donald and people that have to grit their teeth. And But this is the thing. We are and I think it also kind of pokes a little bit about how much we identify with our political leaders. If it's hard for you to pray for your president or your leaders, um, maybe you're looking at it the wrong way because uh, you're praying for them as human beings. Uh, you're praying for God's will in their lives. It's not to say you support or don't support them. You just, you you have a higher king. And it was interesting too in this passage, I think, and I don't know if anybody out there wants to go this way on their sermon, but there's nothing in here that says, you know, pray that you Christians would be in high positions of power. Um, that's an that's idea right. that's sort of uh. foreign to the New Testament. Every time they try to make Jesus king, he runs the other way <laughs> and he ha he wants no part of it. We mm. are in a world now where most people want the person or party in power to be the one that most reflects their own personal beliefs. Um, the progressive Christians yeah. want a progressive Christian. The conservative Christians want a conservative Christian. Uh, that kind of thinking of getting Christians into positions of power is not one we really find in, in the New Testament. So, and here mm -hmm. it's just, you know, pray Absolutely. for the people that are there. Uh, and the people that were there, can we just say, in uh, the first century, were terrible for the most part. Like you, I don't care whether you, uh, whether you didn't like Barack Obama or you don't like Donald Trump, both of them put together were way better than the vast majority of Roman emperors, uh, to say nothing of all world leaders in the first century. I mean, bloodthirsty. No Are you kidding I, me? Anyways. Yeah. I mean, and this is a, you know, a funny story just hit me. Um, when, um, before I went to seminary, I was a youth minister in the Diocese of San Diego, and um, Ben Phillips, who's the rector of St. George's, Dayton, Ohio, was a youth minister in that same diocese, and we had a youth gathering, and uh, we were doing, uh, you know, Holy Communion, and the prayers of the people came up, and he got up, and he literally was like, and we pray for our governor, <laughs> Arnold. <laughs> 
We just watched Terminator <laughs> as a family. For those of you who don't know, that was when yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor. But um, anyways, um, but the, the, you're absolutely right. Uh, the point is, is that um, it's not about praying for Christian leaders. It's praying for our leaders so that we might live in a uh, in all godliness and dignity. And uh, and he goes on to say and basically lays out the point that we pray for our leaders to whether they're Christian or not, because God desires that they be saved, that everyone come to know the knowledge of the truth. And it's not a vague truth. It's not some sort of abstraction, but Christian truth is concrete. It's the rubber hitting the road. And Paul lays it out here, what Christian faith is all about. There is one God, not many, but there is one God that is also one mediator, one who stands in our place advocating for us between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself, human who gave himself what? Up as a ransom for all. Atonement's a part yep. of Christianity. Uh, and this is uh, one of those things where um, this, this is problematic for some people. They feel like it's unfair or it's uncool. Um, and there are lots of ways Christian theologians have talked about this and how do we understand this claim for the exclusivity of Christ in light of other religions and places in the world where people don't get a chance to hear. And I think that's a conversation uh, that you should have with your pastor. Uh, that's something you could read lots of books about. I think if that's your main question, you're missing what I think is the main point, which is just the fact that there is a mediator at all, that God has, that he loves us so much that God himself has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ to uh, reconcile us uh, to him, to be a ransom, uh, to save us. To, so he's given everything for us. And so if, you're, if your question is like, well, why, why didn't he give more ransoms? It's like, well, he gave the most ransom he could possibly give. So anyways, big theological questions. Yeah, actually, ahead. Actually, that is a big theological question. But this, this statement right here, and, and this is a pastoral thing. I mean, all religions are basically the same when it comes to the law. Work your way up to heaven. Work your way up to meet your God or gods. You know, atone for yourself. And, uh, and, and this, this very statement, I mean, what Paul lays out here is what makes the gospel uh, so unique and so wonderful and so sweet, especially, I mean, if you still got enough energy to climb a ladder to God, we'll keep going. But for those of us who've been kicked off, are on square one, the gas is out of the tank, this is freaking yeah. good news. And uh, it is that I have an advocate, I have a mediator, I have one who has given himself as a ransom, and not just for me, but for the rice farmer in Vietnam who's never heard of it. He's given his mm -hmm. ransom for all, and that's what we proclaim. That's what we proclaim, and uh, and this was attested to at the right time. As you said, this wasn't plan B. This has been plan A since the very beginning. Um, and this is why you and I and every preacher and the Apostle Paul have been appointed a herald, not to talk like to, to give vague things, but to give a very concrete thing that gives hope to sufferers. Yeah. And that's the gospel. That's right. Well, and by the way, uh, if you are an Episcopal priest and uh, you're preaching on this passage, you, you can point right to the Book of Common Prayer and the Right One service in which... Uh, this, uh, this verse is quoted directly uh, at the end um, of the Eucharistic prayers, um, our, our only mediator and advocate. Um, so that's, this mm. is, uh, we didn't make it up. It's right here. So, 
Yeah. There it is. <laughs> didn't it make didn't make it, it up. up. So um, I'm just telling yeah. I'm just telling you what I heard. You know, and uh, it's it's pretty um, it's amazing. It didn't work for me, but uh, um, <laughs> it's brought me some peace. And so it's the only thing that brings me peace. If it wasn't for this, I would probably be five hundred thousand pounds and completely insane uh, somewhere in the desert. So anyway, uh, that's just a confession. I need a mediator and advocate. Whatever gets you through the night, you know. But this is like, it. So, and I'm telling the like truth. I'm not lying. Our, the cover art so, for our podcast. <laughs> Just came in the image. I want, I want a fifteen thousand pound Jacob Smith in the desert, like holding a big gulp, and maybe like a couple of bear claws, and clearly some Korean chicken wings, and a no, and a scratching <laughs> stick. <laughs> the Homer Simpson episode where he gains three hundred pounds. Anyways, this has gone <laughs> way off the reservation. <laughs> Blooper no, reel, no, we keep it. Reel. It's good. It's gold. This is gold, it's Jake. Gold. Okay. <laughs> Jacob and Aaron at it again. <laughs> we should move on to the names, Gentile so. <laughs> preachers. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get back on it. So Luke, Luke 16. 16 versus Woo! one Let's through get 13. Get into it. Okay, so. It's a parable. It's a parable. Now, last week I thought it was going to be the prodigal son. Sorry, I completely everybody. messed up. Um, but we too. have a we're, we're whipping around and we have a different parable. Uh, yeah. So last week it was Luke fifteen, but it wasn't like the money famous greatest hits parable that everybody knows from Luke fifteen. It was the two earlier ones: the lost coin, the lost sheep. Skipped over the lost son, otherwise known as the prodigal son. Picking up here in Luke 16, but it is good to know the context because the context of this whole thing is Jesus' long response to Pharisees and folks who are upset about how much he hangs out with sinners and how he seems to forgive people that don't deserve it, how he does miracles for people that are not worthy. Uh, And so he told those parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, and now he tells this story of a rich man who had a manager. And so kind of the question that he's addressing is how can God get away with, how can you, Jesus, who claim to be God, how can you be getting away with, as a religious person, giving good stuff to people who don't deserve it? And so he's told us three parables. Now here's a fourth one where basically he's talking about, uh, he's, you know, there's a, so there's two characters in the story, a rich man and a manager. The manager is, is, this is actually like what has just happened in, I mean, sort of ripped from the headlines, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who uh, became the financial manager for the guy that was the head of L Brands, which is the company that owns the Limited and Victoria's Secret, has this big kind of uh, garment uh, empire. And uh, long before he got in trouble for what he um, was eventually arrested for, Jeffrey Epstein was this guy's financial manager and seems to have like taken millions of dollars from him. And so that's what's going on in this situation. This manager is uh, is poorly managing the assets of the rich man. He's squandering his property. Um, and um, uh, the manager says, I'm going to, I'm going to fire you. And so the guy says, uh, the, the the rich man says, I'm going to fire you. So the manager says, let me let me do something to kind of soften the landing for me now that I'm going to be out of work. Um, and it's pretty honest. It's kind of funny too. I'm not, I'm, I'm a little guy. I'm not strong. I'm ashamed to beg. Uh, I'm vain. And so um, I'm going to make people in my debt. So he takes all the folks that owe the master goods 
uh, oil, olive oil or uh, wheat. And he, he, he uses the last little shred of authority he has to, to reduce the debts of the people that owe money or goods to the, to the rich man. And so uh, that's, the, that's the story. That's the parable. Now, Jake, what does it mean? So essentially what this means is, is remember, and it can't be stressed enough, uh, a, a parable is an earthly illustration of spiritual truth. And what we begin to see here, this is very confusing, but Jesus is identifying himself as the dishonest manager. Uh, what he does is he's been held up to account and uh, before the law, although perfect, taking our stead is found guilty. And um, upon the cross, he is literally fired. So this is a foreshadow of all that's about to happen. And you notice this dishonest manager in a very profound way identifies with scoundrels. Uh, he goes to each of them, you know, and he's like, hey, give me your bill and uh, 100 jugs of olive oil, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 50. Like no one's saying, hey, this is dishonest, this is terrible. These scoundrels are like awesome, like you and I, cut my bill in half. As a matter of fact, take the whole thing away. And so, but what Jesus is doing here is um, identifying completely and totally in this parable with sinners, you and I, and is showing how he actually cuts our debts. Um, this is why the gospel is such peace to me. And uh, because I not only need my debt cut, I need it completely erased. But then he says this tricky thing. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. And that's the key word, because when you read this, you're like, what? What's going on? But the eternal homes is connected to... Um, to, uh, to the parable. And uh, the dishonest wealth is the grace and mercy and love of God that you do not deserve, but that you've received freely because of the work of a dishonest manager on your behalf. Yeah, and Jesus is here being intentionally really provocative. Uh, and he's, he's sort of um, highlighting what people already think about him. The Pharisees and other religious people in his day already think that Jesus is essentially a dishonest manager. They think he is giving away God's goods for free. They think he is, you know, how can he be forgiving tax collectors and prostitutes and hanging out with gluttons and drunkards? Uh, he's giving away the store. And Jesus is saying, yes, you're exactly right. Look, this is this is who I am, the dishonest manager. I'm giving this stuff away. Um and uh, but look, uh, the reason I'm doing it is because um, uh, and he's he's being sort of uh, he, at the end with his little statement you talk about, you know, where he kind of gives you the deeper meaning of the parable. It's all about eternal homes. Um, uh, Jesus is the quote unquote dishonest manager, the one who's giving it away so that um, ultimately everybody can be saved, which is exactly what we saw in the passage from First uh, Timothy. It's God's heart mm. that everybody be saved. Jesus gives himself as a ransom for all, which is hugely unfair. It is, yeah. in a sense, kind of bad management for God no. to give away himself to save everybody. Uh, but that's exactly what he does, because that's what grace is. God is yeah. not fair. God is gracious. Or, or let's say he's fair in that he does enact the demand of the law, but he enacts it on him own, on his own self. He, right. he is the one who who takes who, who who takes it. So, so and then you come to this second part of the passage where uh, Jesus says, "Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also much." Then you have been faithful with uh, dishonest wealth. Who will entrust you with true riches? 
If you've not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? Uh, and the point is, is that no slave can to serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth, you know? And, um, and the point is, my whole life for a long time, and I heard this as a bludgeon, you know what I mean? And that, you know, this idea of, well, you know, if you were only faithful with a little more, with the little that you've been given, Jake, you know, God would add your would add to your treasure, and um, and this is this is true. This is the law talking, and Jesus delivering the law to these Pharisees, and uh, and delivering the law to you and I. But the truth is, is that most of the time, and Aaron and I were talking about this before the show. Like I'm so busy serving two masters that I deceive myself into thinking that I'm only serving one, and when in reality I'm just hoping that the one doesn't recognize the other. Um, but uh, I, need, I need that one mediator and that one advocate. And when you begin to look at the text through that lens of a mediator and advocate, you see the one who has been totally faithful on our behalf. You see Jesus, the righteous one, uh, who stands in the place of sinners, who has been faithful with dishonest wealth and uh, has been given true riches. And those true riches, that dishonest wealth, he pours out on you and I generously. Um, so that um, you and I, maybe at least for a brief moment, might just truly serve God. Yeah, and there is a word here that is supposed to be a convicting word of law yeah. in a sense here. Absolutely. It is true, you cannot serve God and wealth. And um, if you don't believe me, uh, just go talk to anybody who used to be rich and isn't anymore. And, uh, and ask them if they'll be honest with you to tell you about kind of their interior spiritual life um, in that transition. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, um, uh, yeah, so this is a true statement. You cannot serve God in wealth. Can't uh, do but, it. Um, so if you feel convicted, uh, the point here is, again, like all these passages of the law, is to draw you to the one who fulfills the law on your behalf. And, and serves um, you, and the one who serves, serves you. you, you know, and uh, serves you with eternal things. And uh, yeah. and that becomes the, the, the good word, and because uh, you can't do both, uh, but you need right. one who's totally uh, stand, stood in your place. That's right. Well, I think that draws us to a close here, uh, Jake, and uh, from Jeremiah to uh, Timothy, and now ending with Luke. Um, uh, we got some good gospel stuff here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's time for you to go get some uh, Korean chicken wings. Happy preaching, everyone. Rock on and party on. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.